0: I'm really excited, as a part of the Grow Michigan initiative, we have some canvassers up here, and we're going to share a little bit about how they were baptized and came into the Seventh-day Adventist Church and adding to the Michigan membership. I'm really happy to have here uh, Chris. He's our veteran of the group. He's going to be uh, a baptized member for a year Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yes. And so praise God for that. And he's the veteran of the three. And so please share with us a little bit how you uh, came into the church. Mm-hmm.
1: So I didn't grow up with a religious background. Uh, but praise the Lord, I have faithful grandparents who are here right now. And they never stopped reaching out to me and praying for me. And one day my grandfather, on a phone call, he continued to try to get me to read the Bible and study the Bible. And so uh, after that phone call, I was really convicted to study the Bible. And so I went through all the lessons, and I went through Unlock Revelation, which happened around the same time as those Bible studies, and that's where I made the decision to be baptized. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. And you have a friend here to your left. Mm -hmm. Her name
0: is Haley. And you've been an Adventist for a really, really long time, since February 4th of, fourth. Fourth of this February, year. Amen. Fourth. And she is already canvassing. She's already knocking on doors. And she's going to be knocking on literally thousands of doors this summer. Share with us a little bit about how you came into the church.
2: Yeah, so I didn't grow up in a religious household at all either. Um, I I lived a very worldly lifestyle um, just with partying and things like that and uh, three years ago I came to a point in my life where I just I really wanted to know what truth is and uh, I met a really amazing lady who she introduced me to Christianity and um, I went to a non-denominational church because that was really all I knew Um, but meanwhile my friend Chris um, he was on a similar spiritual journey last year, and he had just done these Bible studies, and he was really excited about these Bible studies, so uh, he gave me some. And um, and
0: what were the Bible studies, by the way?
2: The Bible studies were the, it is written Bible studies. Amen. Yes, um, and so he did a, a Bible study with me and then gave me the whole box of the Bible studies. <laughs> and um, I started to do them on my own. Um, And it seemed like I was stuck on the Sabbath study for like two months until Chris went to um, Emanuel Institute. And um, then he kind of learned how to do Bible studies there. And um, (laughs) as I went through all of the Bible studies, I I started keeping the Sabbath. And uh, the Lord helped me have victories over a lot of the things that were holding me back. Um, from getting closer to him, um, like I stopped drinking and I stopped doing drugs, and my vocabulary changed, my diet changed my uh, the way that I dressed changed. Um, literally everything about me started to change, and the most important thing um, that started to change was my heart because i I just kept falling so in love with Jesus and I went to GYC uh, in Texas this last year and that completely changed my life. Um, Pastor Moise actually made an appeal the first night I was there and for baptism. Um, and I just decided that that was the commitment I wanted to make to Christ. Um, I met with Pastor Ackenberger in Traverse City um, like in January for baptism to make sure that that was the commitment I wanted to make and February 4th, I got baptized in my wonderful home church of Boynt City. Um, And I was just so excited about the truth that the Lord was uh, showing me that I wanted to go canvassing this summer. So that's what I'm doing now. And then I'm doing Emanuel Institute in August. And then I'm going to be uh, doing the missionary training program um, through campus at Michigan State. So.
0: Amen. Isn't that a, an amazing story? And, and Chris, you really forgot to mention that it was at Emmanuel where they, they really directed you to say and said, find one Bible study contact, yes. and you thought of Haley.
1: Yes. We had started the studies a while ago, and like she said, I uh, just dropped the box off and expected her to do them, um, but I quickly learned at Emmanuel that's not how you do things, and Amen. so... Uh, after that, I, you know, I started learning a couple of things, and praise the Lord for that.
0: Amen. And I just want to encourage you: uh, if you haven't heard about Emmanuel Institute and you want to be trained on how to give Bible studies, you really need to look that up. And also for students that are attending public universities, campus also has a training program. And every year we take students, even non-Adventists, to GYC. And it is like a fire hydrant if you've ever been to GYC in terms of getting the message. But praise God that Pastor Moise made that appeal and she accepted that call to baptism. Um, Chris, can you share a little bit about campus and how that connects with Miranda?
1: Yeah, so after I was baptized and went through a manual, I decided also to go through campus uh, to learn how to um, be a missionary for God. And during that time um, last year we had a tent meeting in the middle of campus and um, we had things like music, free food, massages, and a prayer wall. And that's where Miranda found us on campus.
3: Yeah. So um, just to share like a little bit of my background, I was born into a Christian home, but it was more like Christian by name than Christian by lifestyle. And also in high school, I was very involved in a Baptist church. I was um, doing a lot of things with them. At that point in my life, I called myself a Christian, but I didn't really know what that truly meant in my life. Um, and towards the end of my high school experience, I started having like more spiritual interests and in drawing closer to God. And I was about to graduate. I didn't know like where I was going. I knew I wanted to be a teacher, but um, through prayer, I kind of learned that Michigan State University was where I was supposed to go. So upon arriving there, I had a lot of friends that lived worldly lifestyles, and I knew that wasn't really right. Like, I knew that wasn't how I was supposed to be living. So I started daily um, praying daily just to find a good group of Christian friends. And... Um, One day, I was actually walking across campus to meet a friend, but she ended up canceling on me. And normally, um, since MSU is such a big place, I use my GPS. But that day, I decided just to go exploring and wandering around. And I I actually um, stumbled upon a big tent, which was the Crave Tour that Chris was talking about. And, um, yeah, so I I met a lot of awesome people there. And I just had a great time at the Crave Tour. And I actually um, signed up for the small groups that they had. And so... um, while I was attending the small groups I learned a lot of things about the Bible that I'd never learned before. And I also just realized that God um, answered my prayers through the small groups. Um, I started hanging around with a lot of the people there and I found family in them. They like turned into my family after a little bit. And um, yeah, their their Christian influence and just like the examples they had um, in my life just by how they lived their lives, um, it just made like a huge impact on me. and I, while I was studying the Bible, I started to give up things in my life that um, God showed me weren't right, and God showed me um, that I should get rid of those things, and eventually he impressed me to be baptized, and after talking to um, Pastor Jermaine Gale, I decided that I needed Jesus in my life, and I needed to fully commit to him, and so I did. I was baptized on January 28th, this year, 2017. (laughs) Yeah. And after that, uh, just like Haley, I was super excited just to share um, the, Lord's word, or the, yeah, the Lord's Word and just everything that he had shown me in the past few months. And so I also decided to go canvassing and dedicate my summer to him and also dedicate the next year of my life to him through Campus Ministries. And I'm also going to Emmanuel Institute, so God has definitely been leading my life in an awesome path.
0: <laughs> Amen. We have two here. How many of you think it would be a good thing? If we had hundreds up here next year because you, because myself, are giving Bible studies, seeking the law so that we can hasten the soon return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and close out this session, and then we're going to transition to the Sabbath school panel. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time, this opportunity to see How you're working in the lives of young people and Lord where there are three here this morning we pray for hundreds if not thousands in the state of Michigan to be one to the three angels message and ultimately into the hands of Jesus Christ so we pray in a special way for this work that's being done we pray for the three here that are knocking on doors this summer and the rest of the group that are working the doors throughout the state of Michigan Bless their efforts and be with us as we discuss Sabbath school. May you guide us and lead us. May the words that be are spoken not be our own words, but words from on high. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who answers all prayers, if we ask in his name. Amen. All right, saints of God, if you will go ahead and turn with me, we're going to be studying in depth the passage of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And I'm very happy and pleased to introduce our panel here. We have uh, Amy Ratzara. We have Chad Bernard, and by the way, we, re- we really need to welcome Chad back to the Michigan family. He never really left. You were always here in spirit, but praise God that Chad is back, and he'll be working as an associate with the youth department, with Pastor Ken Mitchif and Craig Harris. So welcome back, uh, Pastor Chad. Also, Pastors Cameron DeVasher is no stranger to the Michigan family, and also Pastor Darrell Bentley. And so welcome them. And of course, my name is Andy M. And I'm working with Sabbath School and Communications for the conference. Let's go ahead and delve right in, shall we, to Second Peter chapters 3, or chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And I'm going to go ahead and read. We're all going to read three verses each. And then delve into it. I'll go ahead and start with verse 1. I was just told that we need to pray. Let's go ahead and pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we, we prayed once, but it's, not, it's always good to pray. We can never pray too much. And we just want to invite your Holy Spirit to be with us, to speak, to speak through uh, us that the words may not be our own. We also want to pray for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and not just head knowledge. We want to pray for a heart knowledge, a convicting knowledge that impacts our heart as well as our mind. So be with us, be with the congregation. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. amen. Verse one. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come, In the last days walking according to their own lusts
4: they will say where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation for they believe for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God and that by means of these the world then, that then existed was deluged with water and perished.
5: But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish or for all to come to repentance.
6: But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat.
7: Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless.
0: Amen. I want to read a passage from the Spirit of Prophecy found in Acts of the Apostles, page 535, before we get into our discussion. She says, speaking of Peter in regards to the book 2 Peter, she says, Looking down through the ages to the close of time, Peter was inspired to outline conditions that would exist in the world just prior to the second coming of Christ. I don't know about you, but that makes it very relevant, the passages that we're going to be looking at. I wanna go ahead and throw it out to the panel, the first several verses here, what strikes out at you? Well, part of our
7: discussion, you know, as we were looking over this together, my mind goes back to that very first verse, in which I stir up your pure minds if he's having to ask them to stir up a pure mind that seems to be an indication that the pure mind's not re- you know readily present you know so what other mind is there and we get a little a little sense of that as we come you know further down it says scoffers will come walking according to their own lust there in verse 3 so you seem to have this distinction set up of a pure mind versus a carnal mind And he's calling them, hey, you're in that carnal mindset. I want you to break out of that. I want to stir up that pure mind. And if it
6: can be stirred up, it's an indication that it was there at one time. And it also seems to be, uh, yes, the mind needs to be stirred up because apparently there there are those, according to verse 5, who will willfully forget or are are making a concerted effort not to be mindful of the very thing that he's telling these folks to remember and be mindful of. So you see this contrast between, you look at verse 1, um, we talked about your pure mind's reminder that you may be mindful, verse 3, knowing this first. You know, there's, you has got to know this, you've got to be mindful of it, you've got to remember because there are those who willfully forget. So there's a contrast between, and it goes back to that carnal versus pure mind, the pure mind of God that God wants us to have is going to remember the thing that we have learned in His Word in contrast with those who have completely let that slip by or are not just allowing it to slip by, are making an effort to make sure it doesn't stay in their mind. They're willfully forgetting this truth that we need to know.
5: Yeah. And another thing I find that's very sad is in verse four it says, forever since the fathers fell asleep. This tells me that these the people that are mocking are in the church. This is this isn't the world that's always mocking. This these are our own people that have forgotten this and have lost their first love.
0: You know, one of the things that that pops out at me, he's saying, be mindful, but mindful of what. And he goes and he points back ultimately to the Old Testament. He says uh, the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets, and then he also refers to the New Testament and the commandment of us, Peter, Paul, and other and the other disciples who were really uh, uh, forging ahead with. Uh, with writing the New Testament in their epistles. And so they're going to, their, their authority, their ultimate authority was the word of God. And I think that's very clear here in this passage. Anything else?
7: I just appreciate that because it ties in so nicely with Hebrews 4 in verse 12, which happens to be one of my favorite verses. Uh, And from the New King James, it reads, for the word of God is living and powerful. I believe the King James says living and active, Uh, but it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so... I think it's powerful that you bring that out. And the cure, because really that's what, that's what Peter is giving us. He's saying the cure for having a mind that is not stirred up with pure things is to get back in the Word. Amen. You know, the testimonies that we just heard prior to coming into our Sabbath school panel, what was the distinguishing factor? It was being in the Word, and it was knowing how to rightly divide the Word. I mean, I love the fact, here, here's a box of Bible studies, go after it. <laughs> Good luck with that. But how many of us have that mindset, right? Here, yeah. here it is. You're, you're going to naturally just know how to go through it. It's not always the case. And so when you had someone who was excited and then had the training mm-hmm. to know how to rightly divide the word of truth, and then that truth was taken in and it was accepted,
6: it changed lives. Well, and you see also that in, in the testimony we just heard, powerful, by the way, I, I love that. Amen. Um, but that the, there, there was the young individual was saying, you know, I had done all these other things, I was living this other life, but I wanted to know what truth is. Praise the Lord. Right. And the scripture says, thy word is truth. And we're sanctified by that word. And so here, the apostle Peter is writing to people who are anticipating and living in the the, the time of the coming of Jesus. And they're saying, there's going to be two groups, those who stand on the word, who remember there was a creation, there was a flood, and there's coming a fire. And then there's those who willfully forget those things. So keeping your mind stayed on the Word of God gives you a richer personal experience, and it gives you preparation for the coming of Jesus. And that's where we need to be today. It's just standing on the Word of God. Amen.
5: It's such an empty life to try and forget the only thing that can fill you. That's another thing that I'm processing is is uh, these people are trying to act like um, God might not be coming. And, and how many times have you heard it or have experienced it yourself? You try to fill uh, something in your heart that only God can fill with the world and it's just empty and empty. And I hear this time and time with these new converses. I was searching and I couldn't find anything. That's because God is the only thing that can fill your heart. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and
0: we have these words, be mindful, pointing back to the old, the, the old Testament and also their epistles. And then we get to the real content here. He gets into this fact that there is going to be at the end times, scoffers. And if you look at that in the original languages, it, it has to do with those who are mockers, those who are ridiculing, those who are making fun of those who are preaching The second coming of Christ. Can we expound a little bit about what Peter is talking about here?
4: You know, I just think it's really interesting that when you start looking at these verses, that the very thing that they're mocking is the fact that um, the world has continued from the beginning of creation. They're overlooking the fact about how creation happened, but then also the way that the flood happens and just how. All these 2,000 years ago, Peter is exactly describing the way that things are even some t- in some parts of our church with the way that we look about how um, the way that people are trying to discredit the creation account that we understand from the Bible and discredit the flood account. But even this week I was reading the news and National Geographic posted this article. They found this dinosaur that's like one of the most Best preserved fossils ever found, and it still has skin, it still had organs, and they said the reason it was so well preserved is because it had gotten stuck in some sort of water. And you know, National Geographic is not going to say anything about the flood, but I was like, oh, of course, that's why it's such a well preserved fossil. (laughs) He got stuck in the flood. You know, and just the word of God is so clear about what it is that actually happened, but people are trying to overlook that because they don't want to believe. Because if you believe in God's creative power through His Word to make the world, and then also His power to bring judgment when we live out of line with His Word, you don't want to believe everything else that the Word of God has to say about what's coming next.
6: Yeah, I think that Amy's bringing up a very good point because look at verse 3. The thing that we know about them is that not only are they scoffers, and they're, they're scoffing in the last days, right? But it also adds that phrase walking according to their own lusts so we know something about their motive that they're coming from a heart that doesn't want why do they willfully forget why would you want to put the coming of christ out of your mind why would if you were at one time especially if this is the case that they were believers at one point why would you ever want to push that away well the the key is there right they're walking according to those they just don't want it so if i can deny that there was a creator and a destroyer of the world with water then I can kind of anesthetize my conscience to think, well, there's also, I mean, that fire is, maybe that's allegorical, maybe that's some sort of metaphorical symbolic, maybe it's not an actual there, mm-hmm. but Peter is saying, look, don't try to spiritualize this thing away. There's a literal God who made you, and you're accountable to him, and he's going to come back. And we're living in this time of judgment, especially now, those who are living in the days prior to it, when we know the, the investigative judgment is ongoing, Amen. that there is, it's, and, and you see it sometimes in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, where let's talk about anything else but that. We're trying to willfully forget the one thing that the crux of our experience right now is that there is a living Savior who's also our judge mm-hmm. and advocate, praise the Lord, mm-hmm. but there is that process ongoing, and soon and very soon, we're going to see our King, mm-hmm. and the, the, the key in my mind is that walking according to the laws, they just old-fashioned. <laughs> you know, Jesus had to encounter people who were brilliant, lawyers who would try to, uh, uh, and not lawyer like, you know, Esquire Attorney at Law, but I mean like lawyers in the Word of God, scholars of the Scriptures, who would try to entrap him. And he, he would come back with these simple, beautiful truths, and they would be confounded by it. I, I think of like Nicodemus, you must be born again, and, he's, and he loses it. In fact, in John chapter 3, in his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus laid out what the problem was. Why can you otherwise brilliant people not see the basic truth of what I'm trying to say? It's found in verse 19 and 20. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Why do these people in the last days not want to know about a coming of Jesus or a sitting judgment? Hmm. Because they'll be accountable, and they just... Can we just call it what it is? We are just old-fashioned like sin. I just would rather... I being not me, but the general, (laughs) the carnal I that we all share, right? Without the renewing, regenerating grace of Christ... We would prefer darkness to light, hmm. and that's the underlying issue. Why have these people become scoffers? Because they like sin more than they like their Savior. That's the bottom line.
7: And I, and I think a part of that as well. I totally agree with you. But you know, we have been called by God to be His peculiar people. Now, sometimes we take that a little far, and we want to be weird. We don't have to be weird, Venice, <laughs> right? But peculiar means that I'm different from the world, right? There's something about me that separates me from the world. And and the less we are in the Word of God, I am thoroughly convinced, the less I am willing to be different from the world. Mm. And we see this in academic settings. Now, please, don't anybody leave here thinking, oh, Bentley's against uh, academia. That's not what I'm saying. But I have seen within certain circles of academia that I'm more concerned about impressing colleagues. I'm more concerned about looking like I am in tune with everybody else than I am being true to the word of God. Hmm. Look at the controversies that we've, I mean, we've had to review our fundamental belief number six, the wording, just to take away ambiguity that we believe in a literal Six-day creation, seventh-day you
6: know, seventh week Literal, there. Literal, consecutive, contiguous, 24-hour Con- of recent. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, let's it, go was the, let's go it was a day. Let's go through the whole thing, right? <laughs> yes. I mean,
7: and if the fourth commandment doesn't make that clear, in six days, it didn't say in six eons, and, but, but it, all of it comes back to that. I want to impress people around me sometimes, mm-hmm. and I'm less concerned with being true to the Word of God mm-hmm. when look at the mountain of archaeological and historical evidence that we have that verifies the scripture. Mm. Over and over, we're seeing the Word of God is the one rising to the top as having the truth.
0: And and I just want to add that Peter here assumes that the flood did in fact take place. Amen. And as a matter of fact, he uses it at as the basis for believing in the second coming mm-hmm. and, and the judgment to come. So that's a powerful point. The other point I want to bring out, and that is If you read in Patriarchs and Prophets in regards to the antediluvian world, when Noah first preached that message of the flood, you better believe that all those Adventists back then were startled by that message. 120 years later, only eight individuals are walking into that ark. And there's something about the word of God testing you through time to see if your faith is truly standing uh, on the Word of
5: God. Amen. Amen. Uh, I think I see a holy sarcasm here. Maybe, maybe that's just because I could be sarcastic from time to time in verse 5, where he says, it escapes their notice. Like, duh, the whole world has been decimated by a flood. We all know there's been a flood. To try and act like nothing has changed since the beginning of the world is, is crazy. Here's, and I like what you said about you just like sin more if I want to do something, there really isn't, any, there isn't enough evidence to stop me from it. That's right. And I, I, when I've talked to young people and they, 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 they ask me a question, really what they're saying is, I don't want to do what your church is saying you should do. And what i like to do is just kind of, how much evidence would you need to be convinced? Like that was, I had a conversation just re- recently like, how much evidence would you need? I was talking to this lady uh, at a library. I went to drop off books at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, really weird. She was out smoking a cigarette. Uh, I thought she was homeless, but she was just outside. And we got into a 45-minute discussion on evolution, which was crazy. She was an agnostic, and it was a good time. But basically, halfway into our conversation, I said, what would it take for you to believe something? You know what she said? she said it would take God himself to come down and smack me and say, well, I won't tell you what she said, but she basically said, you know, get your stuff together. Did you smack her? And, no, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm a messenger of the Lord. <laughs> uh, no, I, that would, man, why wasn't I thinking? You know? Anyway, but. Not recommended, by the yeah, way. No, that I should go to Emmanuel. Go to Emmanuel, yes. <laughs> and then I would know not to do that. amen. Um, <laughs> But anyway, it just—I think what it is is there. There isn't enough evidence for someone who just—I love sin more.
6: Yeah. Well, and you, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now of Acts chapter seven when Stephen gives this powerful speech, right? And he goes through the Old Testament scriptures to people who believe the scriptures, right? And they're convinced—they are absolutely convinced—he's right. They're convicted according to Scripture, verse 54 in Acts chapter seven, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And what was the response? And they gnashed at him with their teeth. Yeah. And then he goes even farther. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, verse 56, and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's right there.
5: Yeah. Just see,
6: look yeah. at him. Then they, and they look at their response, verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Mm. They literally, they were trying to physically stop the truth from coming in because they had no excuse, they had no answer, there's no comeback they could give, except they just wanted to just shut him up.
5: As quickly as possible.
6: As as quick as possible. Just stop the truth from coming in. Uh,
5: Ellen White says they acted more like beasts than humans at that moment. That's
6: right. And many times, this is what sin does. When it gets in the heart, it's not about a head knowledge, because I think that there are many people uh, preaching enough evangelist campaigns. As long as this big overarching theory and beautiful word pictures about the great controversy and what happened and, and people, as long as it's soaring theological doctrinal rhetoric, they like that. But yeah. when it comes into incredibly practical, tangible, daily life change, stuff that you have to do on a Tuesday, you know, right. like when it comes to uh, uh, the great controversy theme, love it. The seventh day is the Sabbath. Mm. Yeah. I don't, and they'll say, I don't quite see it. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. You just like you sin just, more. You just don't like it. That's right. Let's just call it this. The, yeah. You can do that with the health message, with dress reform. Anything that cuts across your carnal will, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's very pious to say, well, I just don't quite see that. I don't understand. You look at it from, no, we're all looking at it the same way. You just don't want it. Anyway, I need to go to Emmanuel, too. Right, yeah, you <laughs> to probably a, would say that yeah, their that's their face, not, But that's the right. crux of the issue, right? That they, they, they are wandering right. after their own
7: lusts. You yeah. know, there's, there's an old adage that's, that's sometimes used, and I've used it in evangelism, the same sun that hardens the clay is the same sun that melts the wax. Hmm. And it really comes down to, just like Pastor Cameron was saying, it comes down to the condition of the heart. Yep. Where is your heart? Is your heart surrendered to God? And go back to verse 1. I don't mean to you know, beat the dead horse, so to speak, but stir up that pure mind. The pure mind is a reference to the condition of the heart. We use that metaphorically, oh, is your heart in the right place? But really we're asking, is your head in the right place? Do you consciously and cognitively want to accept what you have been shown, or are you going to continue to make excuses for it? And, and I guess the, the, my, my prayer is often, Lord, keep my heart in the condition that it will melt. Amen. Let Amen. my heart be in the condition that it will melt under your
0: word, under your love. So. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I want to transition now as we move forward. If you go to verses 7 and 8, he makes, draws this application, Peter does, that that same word that was reserved for fire is now, or for, for the flood is also now reserved in our day for the judgment that is to come. And then he talks in verse 8, the one days as a thousand years. And then he goes to verse 9. And let's look at these next few uh, verses here. It talks about the Lord not being slack concerning his promise, that the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. Does that mean that the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night to Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventists, converted Adventists?
7: Well, we probably need to define some of the parameters, right? And one of the, the, the parameters that I want to diffuse, you know, it was very popular years ago, this Left Behind series, and we, we understand that was a series of novels, but we also understand they're not based on solid biblical theology. But the, the, one of the primary concepts, though, within a secret rapture, you know, mindset is that Christ has to come and steal away. And so that they hone in on these passages that mention Christ coming as a thief, <laughs> I'm here to tell you, Christ does not have to steal that which he owns.
5: Hmm. Amen. First
7: Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20 says, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you are not your own. Why? You were bought with a price. And so Christ has purchased me. He has ransomed me. He does not have to steal me because he owns me. And Amen. so I want to diffuse the element that he's coming to steal away his people. He doesn't have to come sneaking and slinking around. He's going to come in glory. He's going to come in magnificence. All of heaven is going to be I'm sorry, I get just a little excited. But Amen. Amen. Preach it. So what element? So then it begs the question, what element of the thief coming? Nobody looks in, you know, Google and says, "Man, I need a thief to come. Let me call and schedule a thief." So it's the unexpected arrival is the element of the thief that's, that, that I think we need to focus on.
5: Well, it's interesting that Paul says um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, but you, are, you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. Um, I don't claim to know the day or the hour that he's coming, but prophetically, really, is would we be shocked if he came this year? You know what I mean? Man, I didn't see that coming. Like every <laughs> prophecy, right? Every, every time prophecy has been f- fulfilled. We're, we're just waiting expectantly. So it's not like we could be upset at, at all. And, and, and the, the beauty of, of being a Seventh-day Adventist Christian in 2017 and have the beauty of the truth that he's given us is that we can look up expectantly at that he's coming and we can share with everyone around us so that we all can go to heaven together. That's the beauty of it. Amen. Amen.
4: And I think that's what's so encouraging about this passage because I know there are people in my life who have not yet made a decision for Jesus, and if he were to come today, you know, I know how that would end for them. But... That we know from verse 9 that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Amen. That Amen. The reason why it feels like it's taken so long is because God wants as many people as possible not to be caught off guard by, like, a thief coming into their house, but rather to be expecting that roar that's going to be coming at his second coming. And that's our privilege in order to prepare other people to be ready for that.
6: Amen. Yeah, and and again, the slow or slack concerning His promise, it, it, we, if someone were habitually late to, say, a job or something, it wouldn't take long at all for us to ascribe motive to that slowness, right? We would say either they're lazy, they're forgetful, or they just don't care about the thing. But clearly, the reason Christ hasn't come is not because He's lazy, nor is He forgetful, and it certainly isn't because He doesn't care, in fact, it's quite the opposite. So, because he's mindful and does care that he's doing this. is a purposeful delay for the purpose there that all should come to repentance. Hmm. Now, you could almost take solace in that and say, well, first of all, I think it's a divinely brilliant plan not to give us the time of the second coming. Amen. I th- think of... I mean, you look at every other element of Christ's ministry on our behalf, from his incarnation, the timing and location, all the details of that. You look at his, 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 uh, the beginning of his public ministry, his death on the cross. I mean, you look at Daniel chapter 9, and it outlines boom, 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 boom. Then you have the ascension to heaven. You have the beginning of the most holy place ministry in 1844 on it, to the day, October 22. So every aspect of that until the second coming is outlined to a T. This one, however, he says, you don't know the day or the hour. And I would have to imagine He's done everything for our benefit so far, so somehow this has to be in our best interest for us not to know. Amen. Hmm. And I would think if the Lord told us, okay, you have six years, if we knew that was coming, how would we live differently? And I I would imagine there's many people who would say, all right, I've got six years. How much… And you start making a calculus in your mind. How much time do I need to get right? I mean like translation ready right. Six months, a year… And you start, seriously, probably would rationalize and justify or whatever, and there's there's two huge problems with that, even if the date were spot-on accurate. Problem number one is you might schedule for your repentance to come in five years and the bus find you at year four. That's right. Right? None of us are promised tomorrow, so there's an urgency outside of the soon coming of Jesus because we have today. This is the day we should choose because Mm. we don't know that we've got the next day. But even deeper than that, if we put off the repentance we know we should have today for this hoped-for tomorrow or a tomorrow after that, that when our time for renewal comes up, we may not want it anymore. Right, right. The urgency of the preparation for the second coming is not—it it goes back to that heart change. Do I actually want to be with Jesus, Hmm. or am I just doing it to get in? And I think that the Lord purposely takes that out of the equation and says, it could be today, it could be next week, it could be another year, it could be ten, we don't know. Now, we do have some general parameters for sure. We see the signs all around us, we won't be caught up as a thief in the night, but it's not because because we've got the calculation right. That's not why we're not caught off. Mm -hmm. It's because we're right with Jesus at any time, and that's what He means
5: by watch and be ready. Amen. I love a God, I think of John 6, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Mm. I love my God because he waited for me. Mm. I would not be in the kingdom if he came 20 years ago. Mm. And I praise God for that patience. And that same patience, patience that he's extending to my neighbor, that he's calling in my heart, you need to talk to your neighbor. I need to have that be front and center of my life. And when I love sin more, I'm just worried about me. Oh, I'm going to have the latest of this, and, da, 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 da. and and I'm not focused on that same loving truth that was and patience was extended to me. Amen. Just just a couple of points.
7: I think life gets in the way sometimes. You know, and, and being a Christian, we, we sometimes present to people, sure, you're going to have more peace in your life. I fully believe that. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious for anything, prayer and supplication, and God will give you a peace that passes all understanding. I totally agree with, agree with that. But in Matthew 16, Jesus also said this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There is nothing glorious, there is nothing easy about the idea of bearing a cross, and in their minds, in their day, they would have walked out of the synagogue and gone down the street and perhaps seen someone hanging upon a cross. So it would have been a very vivid, very real reminder for them. So I bring that out to say, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life just beats you up. Sometimes it's hard to stay focused, and sometimes it's our heart just crying out, saying, Lord, will you come? Will you rescue us? Will you pull us out of this? And that ties in kind of to my second point, and that's what Peter's talking about this thousand years. He's trying to tell us your perspective, our perspective, is different than God's perspective. He's here. He's able to see the beginning from the end. All I'm able to see is what that light shines one step ahead, Hmm. right? And you're just praying, Lord, let the flashlight go a little higher so I can see a little farther. But that narrow path is sometimes it's hard to navigate, and life is just—so I think all of that combined— For the dedicated Christian, we just have to stay focused and say, you know, it doesn't matter if he comes. Let me just be ready today. Let me be ready in this moment. And let me not just focus on myself, but let me share what he's done with me
0: for somebody else. We need to wrap up this passage because we have another juicy passage that we need to get to. But I do want to speak to verses 11 through 14 because there is a lot here. You, you, it starts off with this word, therefore. In other words, in, in conclusion to what I've said previous, uh, he makes some statements here that are really powerful and, and comes down to the crux of the matter. And does anyone want to summarize or does anyone have any thoughts on these final words? Well, I just want to highlight interesting, what I, th- what I see You're
6: starting with verse 9 into verses uh, 11 and 12 and onward there. You notice there in verse 9, it talks about the apparent slowness or the delay the slackness right but then the transition in verse 10 but the day of the lord will come and look at how many times the word is will is used there heavens will pass away the earth and the earth will be burned up so there it seems slow but it will occur and then it transitions in verse 12 looking for and hastening so we've had slow on time and now faster right in this sequence so it's it's as though it's like from our perspective it could be slow but friends, God is always on time, and in right. fact, he's going to cut it short in righteousness. We can hasten that coming. So there is some, there's some pr- intensely practical application to this. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if, if, the, if the therefore of verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be z- dissolved, we should, quite take, we should take quite seriously this rhetorical question, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Because not only do we look for, but we're to hasten that coming. There's got to be something there for us here.
5: There's a, that's a really interesting distinction I was thinking as you brought that up. The mockers are whining because it's taking a long time. The saints are trying to do something about it. Speed it, it up. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like, I just want to whine and complain about the slowness. And the saints are like, no, no, let's... Let's be about soul winning so that we can hasten the coming. And that way we can agree
6: with them. It's like, you're right. It is taking too long. Let's hurry up. <laughs>
5: right, yeah. yeah. Get a box of Bible studies. Let's yeah. go, right, Chris? It is taking too long.
6: If you would get converted, you would help us out. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Well, there is But there is a contrast here because you notice the mockers, the scoffers, are the ones who are walking according to their own lusts. Right. But those who are looking for and hastening are the ones who have holy conduct and godliness. So there needs to be, there seems to be a twofold application here. First of all, for your own personal uh, uh, walk with Christ and fitness for His coming, right? That preparation, that heart preparation, that individually must have. But also the verse nine. What was the reason for the delay? Because Christ wants all to come to repentance. So not just you, but through you that others would have this message too. There seems to be, in my thinking, a a double application for our own lives. Stop sinning, get yourself ready through Christ's power, and start sharing your faith with others. We have been called in these last days to be a distinctive movement with the message from God, the last message of warning, the three angels' messages. And I'll say it again, what we, we have the three angels' messages. What Christ is looking for are the three angels' messengers. Amen. We need to be Amen. out there sharing this message, therefore looking and hastening the coming. of the. Well, Lord. and I would
7: say one feeds the other. Yeah. The, the closer I come into a surrender relationship with Christ and the greater my victory over sin, the more I am empowered and motivated to want to share that with someone else. Mm. Nobody has an excellent dining experience and goes and says, well, do you know any good places to eat? Well, I had a really good place, but I'm not going to tell you about it. Right. No, you're going to go tell out of here, strangers man, I ate at this place and it was awesome, the service was wonderful, the value was incredible, but we don't do that with Christ. You right? will tell a
5: stranger about a restaurant before Jesus. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the
7: truth. But it's the same thing. But it begs the question, have I eaten at the Master's table? Amen. Mm. Amen. And if I've not eaten at the Master's table and I'm seeing that transformative power across my own life, then I'm not going to have the motivation.
6: I think the two are intrinsically tied together and proportionately tied together. And you together. look at these testimonies that shared this morning. Every one of them. I came to the truth, and what was their very first response? Let me I went tell and told somebody. somebody. Praise So the this Lord. guy told this lady and this one, and, and now we have the triple-down triple effect, and that's exactly how Christ intended it to be. He could proclaim the message through the Holy Spirit's power to just plant it in the head or write it in fire across the sky, but he has chosen in his wisdom to let humanity reach for—work for humanity. And so we are called to not only, you know, we were talking about last night, there's no such thing as a Christian hermit. You know, you can't— th- th- it's not to be cloistered away in some sort of like glass jar, a fragile little uh, 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 righteousness. There's supposed to be a righteousness that works, that, that goes to work for Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm truly convicted that the Lord is looking for more than mere faithfulness in His people. He's looking for usefulness from His people. Amen. That there we that, that, that you cannot. There is no faithfulness without usefulness in His Amen. cause. And there's an urgency to this that I think is right here in rural Michigan. Yeah. Now I know you're trying to get to this other passage.
0: We are. And, and let me just uh, say this, Pastor Daryl, that we can actually refer back to this because they are related, as we already know. And so let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 24, verses 43 through to 51. And, and please hold that thought there, Daryl. And we're going to go ahead and read this. Let's do three that. verses again each. And we're going to end with this passage, which is, which is really relevant to what we have read thus far. Verse 44, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Verse 44, Therefore you also be ready, For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season?
4: Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed.
5: and shall begin to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. And the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour which he does not know. And shall cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Weeping shall be there and the gnashing of teeth. This passage here, this parable, reminds me of what you said, Daryl.
0: that the thief component, the motif, has to do with the fact that Jesus is going to come at a time that is not expected for those who are not ready. And I know you had something else to say. I did, but I'm
7: saving it for, for just a moment. But I, I totally agree with you. And, but notice what happens, too. As we come a little further down in the passage, verse 49, especially where I'd like to focus for just a moment, he began, this evil servant begins to beat his fellow servants. So, so notice the transition that takes place somewhat the indication is as servants they're both in the church right we're talking about church members and so when our eyes are taking off of God when we're ta- when our eyes are taken off mission really right because to say that the master's coming that's what we're here to tell the rest of the world so that's our mission right Jesus is coming get ready to meet him let, let your life be surrendered to him. Let him save you and rescue you from your sins. If we get focused or elsewhere other than mission, notice what happens. Begin to beat his fellow servants. It comes back to that willfully forgetting. It comes back to that carnal mind that we studied back in Second Peter. The scoffers, these things are intrinsically tied together. So I'm glad you brought us to this passage.
4: And I think just jumping off that, it's a really practical thing that we can do as a heart check, even in our own churches, that Am I getting into wars and quarrels with other people? Am I beating my fellow servants or am I getting beat? And where is that coming from? When you go to James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, you know, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? And then verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, who wishes to be a friend with God, um, a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Mm. So we see that when we start to get in these in these struggles in the church, where we start to beat down our fellow members instead of lifting each other up and bringing each other back to the feet of Jesus, that it means that we still have that worldly mindset in us, that there's sin within us, and that we have become friends with the world and not with God, that we've lost our identity as a servant of God and now we're among the drunkards in, you know, of the other people who are not in the master's service.
0: I wanna highlight a couple of words here and I've highlighted it in, in, in my Bible here on my iPad. It says here, uh, the, these words strike out at me. This word ready in verse 44, be ready, right? And then you also have in verse 44, or the, the, the 43, to, to watch. What is Jesus referring to when he's saying, we need to be watching, we need to be ready this is a very practical question how do we fulfill uh this
5: injunction of christ so that we're not caught unprepared it's interesting because it looks like from verses 44 to 46 the slave is not watching for the master to show up what he's doing is he's about his father's business or his master's business so what is that business at this time like what God is God is delaying. So, what should we be doing right now? Are we supposed to continue to just look up in the sky, or, or you know, what's the point? What what should be we, we be doing? I think, in a very practical sense, it
7: goes back, Chad, to what you were saying: the prophecies have been fulfilled. But we are also giving some other signs. Jesus outlines these things. I mean, in how many evangelistic presentations have we started off with signs? You see, the Daniel 2 or signs, it seems like. You know, so you've got Matthew 24, Luke 21, those sister passages. Jesus says, as you see these things happening, know that my coming is near, even at the door. So part of it, you know, from a practical sense, I believe, is paying attention to what's happening in the world. You know, sometimes we as Adventists, we say, you know, all media is bad. Well, there's a reason I don't watch the news, but there's a reason I read the news. When I watch the news, I get a specially curated palette of what they want me to know. When I read the news, I can search headlines, and I can look through various stories, and I can find that which is relevant to me as a Seventh-day Adventist living in 2017. So I'm paying attention to what Pope Francis is doing. I even have it set up. Anytime there's a news article posted, Pope Francis and ecumenism, I get an email alert sent to me so I can keep up with what the Pope's doing, trying to pull us all together. But that's just one of those little practical ways that I can pay attention to what's happening in the world, because as a shepherd of the flock, as an under-shepherd, I have a responsibility to tell God's people, hey, this is happening. This is a fulfillment of the great controversy. This is real. This is not some fairy tale. This is actually unfolding
6: before our very eyes. And I think there's a a strong draw, of course, to these last days, especially in the book of Revelation. He, we're talking about, this is Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus talking about the last days. Peter's talking about the last days. And, of course, the book that speaks directly to those issues is the book of Revelation. And in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus gives that, the final sign is not wars and rumors of war or pestilence or anything like that. It's the gospel will go to the world. Amen. And you look at verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 24. He who endures to the end shall be saved. So, again, you have that. There's faithfulness all the way to the very end. And this gospel of the kingdom will preach, and all the world is a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And what do you do when you open up to Revelation chapter 14? The first five verses describe those who endure till the end and are saved. Then you have, starting with verse 6, those three angels' messages. And what's the result? The great harvest where the Lord comes. So we are living in verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 24, which is the chapter, Revelation chapter 14, the giving of those three angels' messages. And To me, it's it's an incredibly practical thing to think about that that the Lord's coming is not just a theory, and it's not just a personal spiritual experience. But there, this is a marching order. Christ is the one who said, "Occupy till I come." So when we start, if we're looking unto Jesus for our own connection, then we'll be looking for others to bring to Jesus. This must, we must be about our Father's business. And look at every parable that Christ talks about. The wicked servants are the ones who didn't do anything while he was gone. They are the ones who come back and say, I, uh, here's your talent. I didn't do anything. Uh, and, and as if he used to say, well, <laughs> as if the, I wonder if that servant was looking for a reward. Hey, I didn't lose it. Of course you weren't supposed to lose it. I wanted you to stay. I wanted you to get some increase, but now do something with it, right? And I think that there's many of us who are like, well, praise the Lord, we haven't lost any members this year. Well, so what? Pathetic. (laughs) You're supposed to stay in the church. That's the minimum. You're supposed to bring more people to the church. You're supposed to be active and vibrant and growing for the Lord. Amy,
0: and then...
4: Okay. So just talking about that being about our Father's business, you know, Jesus says in this parable in verse 45, the second part, whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time. I think other versions, food at the due season. And I think that that shows that there's an amount of discernment, but being about the Father's business is looking at the needs of those around us and acting to meet those needs and giving the food at the proper time. And so, you know, we know for every person to come into the church, to be baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist church, needs to study the word and to understand that to be able to make decisions. But I was really touched by the testimonies this morning, listening to Miranda, what she said that, This group of people, even before she made her decision, they became her family. What she needed as a college student at Michigan State University, which is one of the largest universities in this country, was a family. And they became that family to her. And as a result of that, she was then ready for the next step, which was to receive those small group Bible studies, those individual studies, and make that decision for Jesus. So I think that calls on our part. If we want to be blessed, like it says in verse 46, blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, we need to have that discernment. What are the needs of the people Around me, and how can I use that in order to bring them to the Word so that they can know that Jesus is coming soon?
0: Amen. That, that is powerful.
7: Yes. I just want to take us back briefly to 2 Peter 3 and verse 12 there. It says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And Pastor Cameron asked a question just moments ago about why does God choose to use us? So I want to take us to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. And for me, this is a verse that every Adventist should know. We should know it by heart, and we should live it every day. Revelation twelve and verse eleven. Notice this: this is a threefold recipe of hastening the coming of the Lord. I believe, and not just hastening the coming of the Lord, but how I live my everyday life. Number one, they overcame him. The him is the pronoun referencing back to the devil, right? So they overcame the devil by what? By the blood of the lamb. Blood of the lamb. Amen. The only way I'm going to have victory over the devil initially, is I have to be in a surrendered relationship to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. But notice, also tied with this, not, not against it, not maybe do this if you have time, if you can fit it in, but notice, and what? By the word of their testimony. So not only do I have to be covered by the blood of Jesus, live in that surrendered relationship, I also have to tell what Jesus has done for me. Amen. And if I'm not doing that, I stand to be among those who willfully forget. Mm-hmm. It is it is it is together. Both of these have to be taken in totality. It's not pick and choose. Well, I want to be saved, but I don't care if anybody else is saved. That's the ultimate in selfishness. And Chad, you were talking about what what was that that Gillette?: Yeah, yeah pin Gillette. What was that quote that he said? Something about you have the information about about your job, but you don't live like a Christian, or something like that. But while he's looking at that, I just noticed the third part too. And there's a third part to the recipe. And they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, I love the world to come more than the world that I'm currently living within. Mm.
5: Yeah, Penn Jillette is a. I don't know if you heard of Penn and Teller. They're music, um, magicians, but uh, he said he's an atheist, a, a very popular, famous atheist, Prominent. he says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could, go to, or could be going to hell or not getting an eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I just tackle you. And this is more important than that.
7: Says the atheist. So maybe you should have slapped the woman. Yeah, maybe. I I, I don't know, but but in practical terms, Andy, you're asking something practical. What can I take? What can I take away from this lesson? I have to be surrendered every day. I can't be playing around with sin. And there's this idea that's being popularized in non-Adventist circles and even in some Adventist circles that I can be saved in my sin but it explicitly says in Matthew chapter 1, and I believe verse 22, somebody check me, Jesus came to save them from their sins. And so I have to live in that surrendered relationship, but then I need to get to Emmanuel if I don't know how to do Bible studies. Right, right. I need to talk to my pastor or elder or somebody in the church that knows how to give Bible studies. Teach me how to do it because I have to be sharing my faith, and I better be falling out of love with the world.
0: Amen. And I, we do need to close, and so I want to summarize what I'm hearing from you, and let's just make it as practical as possible: is that Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Amen. And we have a three angels message to share to the world. And even an atheist is telling us, You are not doing your job. You ha- How much do you have to hate me to, in order to not tell me of what is to come? And I'm going to throw out a little curveball that's typically not done at the Sabbath school hour, and if I get fired, that's fine. I think it'll be worth it. I want to close off with a a quote for, for one of the purposes of the Sabbath school hour. It says here, our Sabbath schools are nothing less than Bible societies. This is a little society here. And in the sacred work of teaching the truths of God's word, they can accomplish far more than they have hitherto accomplished. Do you believe that our Sabbath schools can improve today? Yes. Amen. Yes. And you and I have to be the agents. We can't wait for the pastor. We can't wait for anyone else. Then it goes on to say, that's one component of Bible study society. The second component, the Sabbath school, when rightly managed, possesses marvelous power and is adapted to doing a great job. Work. There's a work to be done. And what is that work? But it is not now what it may and should be. The influence growing out of Sabbath school, this hour, right now, should improve and enlarge the church. There the is a work Amen. of evangelism that needs to be done. How many of you, and, and it was referred to here, the, the testimonies of those three Young individuals Amen. who have surrendered their lives to God. They're not even six months old mm. as Seventh day Adventists. And again, we need not three here next year, we need hundreds. And I want to make an appeal and we're going to close with a prayer. How many of you want to make a decision to commit yourself to finding one baptism study from now? to the end of the year and say, Lord, I know you're coming soon. We've been studying it. And now I want to turn what I've learned up here into heart knowledge and then ultimately into action. And if if that is you, I'm only asking for one Bible study contact. I'd like to ask for you to stand up and say, Lord, I want to commit to a Bible study and win souls into this, into the kingdom of heaven. Now what this means, with all of you standing up, is that we're not going to be able to fit all the baptismal candidates up here next year. Amen? We have a strong, a powerful evangelistic series coming up at the end of September. It's time to work now so that they will fill those chairs and Jesus will come because a revival and a reformation took place at the Sabbath school hour. Bow your heads with me as we pray for God's Spirit to help us in this process. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of the Word of God. We can't do it without it. We can't do it without your Word to empower us, to motivate us, to transform our lives from the inside out. You see each and every person here standing, committing themselves to look and search. We're not talking simply about Bible studies that have come through BibleStudyOffer.com. We have 3,000 of those. But we're looking also to enter our workplace, to enter the grocery market, to go to the gas station, the highways and the byways, and to seek out souls and get them into their homes and our homes, studying the Word of God. Lord, we pray for revival. We pray for reformation. This will not come unless we pray for it, pray for it, and do something about it by your grace. We thank you, Lord. Be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.